Hello and welcome to episode Mika's Advantage out of the Cost Report Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. The Senators' 21-22 season begins in just three days, and who knows, it might even be opening night by the time you're listening. As is tradition, I'll be previewing the upcoming season, and to do that with me is co-host of the Future Sickos podcast, Derek Lee. Derek, how's it going? I'm doing well, man. Happy Thanksgiving. How are you doing? Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, you were just saying that you had your Thanksgiving dinner a couple days ago. I got mine tonight. Um, you know, it's a good weekend, lots of good food. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. It's always nice to have a new guest as well. And, um, you know, I appreciate you taking some time every, out of your long weekend here. But while many of us are giving thanks over the past few days, we're not exactly thankful for a long contract negotiation with Brady Kachuk. What do you make of this whole saga? And when do you think he'll sign? I've got to say that was a that was a great segue into Brady <laughs> Kachuk uh, to start. But uh yeah, man, I, I honestly have no idea now. I mean, um, I was optimistic. I'll be honest, I was optimistic before um, heading into the summer. We had Pierre Dorian on our show, and you know, he mm-hmm. quickly pointed out that he was very optimistic that um, both Brady and um, Batherson would be signed by training camp. Um, and obviously, you know, things changed. It, it seems the team is really stuck on a long-term contract with Brady Kachuk, and they're not... Um, they're not comfortable or, or confident that Brady Kachuk will stick around on a short-term contract, it appears. Um, and then from Brady's, from Brady's camp, I mean, it, it kind of makes more sense for the player to take a bridge contract. So uh, to me, it doesn't necessarily you know, signify that he wants out uh, in, in any way. So I think it's a really interesting situation. It'll be an interesting stalemate. It's almost like, you know, who's going who's gonna to drop what they're asking first? You know, do they meet? Do they meet somewhere in the middle at five or six years? You know, right. that's one thing that that I keep asking myself. But uh, but to be truthful, I, I don't know. It, it does put a real damper onto the feeling heading into the season, though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's hard to be 100% excited for the season when your potential slash future captain isn't in the lineup, right? So, I mean, yeah, he's, he's 22 right now. So I guess, yeah, if you want to give him a five or six year deal... He'll still be, you know, maybe not right in his prime, but like he'll still be getting a good paycheck on the next contract. Um, And it's a weird situation where I don't know if you can necessarily blame the team for like, it sounds like they're giving him a fair offer on an eight times eight or eight times whatever. Um, But at the same time, like I'm not going to blame Brady for not wanting to commit to this team if he doesn't think that this team is going in the right direction. Or maybe it's not he doesn't think they are. He just wants to see it, right? So that's why I think maybe like a two-year deal, potentially even three, is probably what they'll end up doing. But um, I don't know. With all these sort of contract negotiations, based on the history of the team, it's hard to sort of be anti-player in this case. Oh, I'm, I'm right with you. And I think you know, the, the important thing to note there is that, yes, he, he's probably made a fair offer, like eight times eight. When you look at the comparables, that's more than fair, you oh, know, yeah. financially. Um, but but also, you know, Brady means more to the organization than just what the production and numbers are going to say. Because, I mean, we can look at some analytics and we could definitely make a case that Brady's probably not even worth $7 million a season right now. Um, but But certainly, you know, we hope to project him doing better over the long term. And I know he's got some things to work on when it comes to the on ice aspect of it. But but there's so many more things that go into this that I think make it 
such a pivotal situation for the Ottawa Senators right now. And it's because Brady basically encompasses what this team is trying to be. I think mm-hmm. he's he's the definition of, you know, hard to play against sort of in your face um, and that style of play that the Senators want to be. And I think Brady Kachuk, the player, um, when it comes to the on-ice product, means more in the playoffs. So um, to me, we have to see where this team is at in the future to really um, evaluate Brady Kachuk and his value to the team. But there's no question that, you know, Brady Kachuk is the face of the franchise right now. When when I think of the Ottawa Senators, he's the first person that I think of right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just unfortunate that this storyline has has drug on to this stage, you know, when we're looking at Thursday as, as the start of the regular season. Yeah, absolutely. And we're recording this on Monday. So obviously the season is, is coming up right around the corner. And I absolutely agree with your point that Kachuk is a player made for the playoffs. And that's why you have a guy like him in the lineup. Um, I think it's a bit, it's too bad that, I don't know what your experience has been like online on on Twitter and and blogs and things like that, but I've just seen a fair amount of Kachuk bashing, you know, saying he's too greedy, saying they, they got to trade him. And, and that's a a vocal minority. Like I I know most fans want to keep him around and still love him and stuff, but it's just a bit disappointing to see fans turn on him so quick. Um, like, I don't know. I I don't think it's a greed thing. And, And as you're saying, he is the face of this team. They, they need him really bad, even if they're going to have to probably overpay him for a bit. Um, but in the end, like, what is your actual prediction then for a new contract? You know what? I'm, I'm going to take an optimistic approach, and I'm going to say five years, seven and a half million dollars. I think, mm. you know, maybe both sides just sort of meet in the middle and, and settle on some middle ground in here. You know, it won't be eight times eight or perhaps, you know, eight and a half times eight. I, I'm not sure about the, the signing bonus situation. And that seems to be a variable in this that no one's really sure of. Um, but yeah, I mean, the divide on online is it, it really speaks to some of the dysfunction, I think, at the top of the organization. And, and sometimes, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you do, right? I mean, you can look at if you work for a big organization, if there's any sort of dysfunction or anything going on at the top, it always plays itself out at the bottom level. And, and you know, I could speak for that because I work at the bottom level. So uh, it, it's something that I can relate to very much. But I think it, it does sort of speak to that divide that, that you mentioned online. And, um, and this thing's really shown its head with the Brady Kachuk thing, because you have people that are, you know, on one side of the fence and on the other side of the fence. And, and it's really like pick a side. And it's unfortunate that you have to do that. Because I think as a fan, we want to be optimistic. We want to look to the future because that's what this team is about. It's about the future. And when it comes to Brady Kachuk, it really is uh, about making sure that you don't piss the player off, to be honest, Trevor. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, that's the most important thing because this thing has a domino effect and it's going to affect some of these other contracts, whether we like it or not. You know, he's best friends with Josh Norris, who also happens to be represented by the same team. So it's important to keep those things in mind as well. Yeah, exactly. Think about how many friends he has on this team. I mean, he's obviously good buddies with Tim Stutzler now. Josh Norris, as you mentioned. Um, I'm pretty sure he's decently close with Jake Sanderson. Like, these are very important players um, that are going to be having contract negotiations soon. So I guess if you want to take one optimistic look at this as well, you know, Daniel Alfredson didn't always have the easiest contract negotiations either. So you know, not to say that Kachuk is going to spend his entire career here or most of it, but, you know, at least there's some precedent for this. 
So um, yeah, I'm just really hoping a contract gets done. Maybe by the time we finish this podcast, that would be great. Absolutely. And what's your take on like, what, what's your best prediction, I guess, on this contract? How do you think it plays out? I mean, honestly, I could see your scenario. What I had written down before the show was two years and maybe like six and a half, which I think that AAV is, you know, a bit smaller than what, you know, the, the long-term contracts were looking like. But based on his production, I think that's more than fair. I think, honestly, that's what I would prefer to pay him anyway. Um, obviously, more more for the term. But yeah, I could see a two-year deal happening. But I, I was actually curious as well. Do you think they still name him captain this season? Um, I think that's very dependent on the term of the contract. I think, mm. you know, the fact that uh, Melnick went on McGowan's podcast and made those comments, I, I don't know that they can go back on it. it it's not going to look good <laughs> on him. And we know that, um, you know, when, when he says things like that, he just uh, obviously he wants to follow through on those statements. I think it was a foolish thing to say, to be honest. Yeah. But um, but yeah, if it ends up being two years, um, like you're suggesting, I think that's probably the more realistic, you know, option. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic and yeah. hoping for, <laughs> you know, some sort of middle ground. But um, but realistically, if he signs for two years, I think they will likely name Thomas Shabbat the captain. Interesting. See, I feel like it's going to be so awkward either way. I think it's, you know, if the season starts, he misses the first couple of games, he comes in and then they name him captain. I feel like that just feels odd as well. But then again, like, I don't know if you do give Shabbat that captaincy. I think he's more than worthy of being a captain. Like, I think up until maybe, I don't know, the end of last season, I was kind of hoping more for Shabbat as a captain. Um, so I think both could be perfectly fine in that role but I do think it would just I don't know it'd be a bit awkward because I think most fans prefer Brady and it's just I don't know you can't really win in either scenario here well and it's like how do you tell Shabbat that you're the captain only because the (laughs) reference didn't sign a long-term contract I mean it's kind of like uh you're our second best choice but congratulations like it it is kind of awkward yeah so I mean who knows maybe there's even a chance that they don't name a captain and again this season, which would be kind of strange and you know a bit overdue that they need to name one. But um, anyway, it's just I can't believe it's gotten to this situation. And you know what is it, October eleventh, and we're still talking about this. I thought this would be done two months ago, but yeah, hopefully he signs this week. And I want to move on to something else. So I'm gonna assume that Brady is in the lineup sooner rather than later. Um, he's not gonna be gone forever. So. With that in mind, I thought we could go through the forward and defense lines for what you would do for the lines. Not necessarily um, what exactly will happen, but just sort of what is your preference. So starting on line one, if we have Kachuk in the lineup as well, who do you have on that first line? You know, I think Formanton's fit there in camp. He's produced quite a bit, so I would put um, Formanton with Norris and, and Batherson right now to start. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, you can have Stutzla there, but do you really want to put all your eggs in one basket when you're already kind of thin up front? Yeah. Um, so for line one, I think that's the the most realistic combination that I can see. Uh, what about you? Well, I mean, are, are we including Kachuk in here or no? Oh, if Kachuk is back. Um, yeah, if Kachuk is back. Actually, you know, if Kachuk is back, I would like to see that stay. I, I think you could... Interesting. Um, you know, potentially divide things up and give Stutzla a little bit more of an offensive weapon to play with. 
Mm-hmm. And and Connor Brown and uh, Nick Paul already have that established uh, chemistry that we saw at the Worlds. So um, that would be an interesting thing to try out. I think, you know, you could always revert back to Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, worst case scenario. Uh, but yeah, what do you think with, uh, with Kachuk out? Yeah, with Kachuk out, I don't hate Formanton on that top line. I kind of like the idea of, of spreading things out as well. And um, I believe, I forget what the stat was. I think he had... Did he have five points in six games or six points in five games? Either way, like he had a ton of points in preseason. And yeah, I mean, if you're struggling for offense, you're probably going to have to kind of do that for a bit. But then again, as you're saying, Kachuk Norris Batherson, that was a fantastic line that worked out very well last season. And I think you can't go wrong with that once he comes back. Yeah, exactly. You know it's kind of, you know, coaches say that all the time, you know what you have in that line. So you can kind of experiment Mm -hmm. elsewhere. And if it fails, then you can always go back to that line and, um, you know, try this. The second line I think is probably obvious, like Stutzla, Pinto, Connor Brown. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. It seems pretty obvious to me. I mean, unless, unless you want to put Formington on that line um, and then move Stutzla down or something. But then again, you're looking at, okay, well, who's Stutzla going to play with? You don't really want to put him with, Nick Paul and you know whoever is is on that third line right wing um but I don't know like yeah is there anyone is there anyone besides Formington who you think could sneak up in that top six um not really (laughs) to be honest I mean (laughs) I I could see maybe you know if they need some elusiveness maybe like Tyler Ennis could play up in your lineup if you absolutely have to but um, Nick Paul, I mean, Nick Paul's a solid player. He could play up in your lineup as well. But, um, you know, I didn't see enough from Sanford. I thought he kind of had a, a bit of a disappearing act in training camp. Um, but I wasn't really impressed by Stutzla either, to be honest with you. I think he tried to overdo things a little bit. Um, it, he looked extremely good in practice from what I've heard and in scrimmages. Um, but when it came time to the game, I, I thought, you know, there was definitely flashes. He's going to be good in the future. We know that. But mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, I, I'm not super comfortable with him on the second line either. So I can see a situation where you want to move him down and maybe restrict his minutes a little bit. Right. And this is a situation where I wish Dorian had been more aggressive in the offseason in terms of getting another forward because, I mean, sure, they got Tyler Ennis on a PTO who's, you know, a, still a solid like bottom six player. But it seems like they really lack that you know, another another dynamic forward up there because they're really lacking options. And yeah, as, as you're saying with Sanford, like there's probably a good chance he starts on that fourth line if he's if he ends up being behind, you know, Kachuk, Stutzla, Formanton. It's kind of a, a loaded left side. So yeah, I mean, third line center, would you go Nick Paul or would you go Chris Tierney? Uh, personally, I like Nick Paul at center. I think yeah. he does, he does play a, a really sound two-way game. Um, he can win you face-offs. Like, he's just an all-around kind of good bottom six player. Um, and Chris Tierney, I mean, he just had a horrible season last year. Yeah, I, I think they expect a lot of Tierney out of, out of the season when we look at the roster, how it's constructed right now, but I don't know that he can deliver. I think his pace is it's a bit of an offense killer. I mean, we, we see it even in preseason. Oh, yeah. I mean... I'm just thankful that he's not starting in the top six. I mean, I know at the beginning of camp, they were saying he's their second line center, but pretty quickly Shane Pinto took over that role. So I'm just thankful that 
it's Norris and Pinto in those in those top two spots because, as you say, I mean, you know, Tierney just really doesn't provide much offense for the team, and and even defensively, he hasn't been that great. So he's a UFA at the end of the season. Like, I'd be pretty surprised if he, you know, he's probably gone by the deadline, and if not, like, he's probably just walking as a UFA. Oh, absolutely, and and we should mention just how good of a camp Shane Pinto had. I mean, yeah. he looks like a man out there. And he's, what, 21 years old? Like, he was winning face-offs left, right, and center. He was winning puck battles. He was out-muscling guys. Like, you shouldn't be able to do this stuff at 21 years old. Not many guys can step into the league and even win face-offs like he was in the preseason. So Mm -hmm. I think he had an outstanding camp. I think he gave the Senators no choice. I think going into camp, I think they wanted to send him down. I think they would have preferred to play him in Belleville, but he gave them absolutely no choice. So all credit goes to Pinto for winning that battle. Oh, for sure. And especially with Colin Whiteout, who we haven't mentioned yet, you know, their center depth is very thin now. You're having to put Paul at center, who, you know, he's more than capable of doing that, but they pretty much just have Norris, Pinto, Paul, and Tierney down the middle. Obviously, they traded Logan Brown. So it's kind of just those four. Um... Now on that on that right side, I'm assuming you have Tyler Ennis on that third line spot, and then with Austin Watson out for the next month, um, who would you put on that fourth line right wing spot? Yeah, there there's not a whole lot of internal <laughs> options, if I'm being honest. I mean, yeah. do you want to, you know, elevate Sokolov and and play him there on the fourth line when he could be getting the minutes in Belleville? Probably not. Um, honestly, it's probably Shaw right now. Yeah. Um, internally and, and it's not, you know, maybe not a great option, but that's all you really have right now. And we'll have to see. I mean, we know the waiver wire is, is coming, you know, yes. right around the corner. So I, I'm sure they're going to pick somebody up and, and we'll see someone come in. They might even have to cap wise. Yeah, they might actually have to. And yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, I think, I think you had tweeted out, um, we'll know in probably 45 minutes who I, I'd be shocked if they don't claim somebody. So if you're listening to this, you probably already know who they've claimed. Um, you know, there's some names out there like Alex Barre boulet um, Who was the other? Uh, Kevin Stenland, Frederick Gauthier. There's a few options yeah. out there. So Austin Wagner as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, they don't have a ton of options. Um, Austin Watson, we know that the team loves him. So, you know, once he's back in a month from now, he'll be on that fourth line right wing spot. And who knows, maybe even Scott Sabran is going to get some playing time there. You know, he played that last preseason game. So we know that DJ Smith loves him. Um, but yeah, overall, how are you feeling about this forward group? Um, you know what? It might it might actually be the strength of the team. And that's not saying a lot because <laughs> I'm even more concerned when I look at the D and the goaltending. So um, yeah, I'm not feeling confident especially without Kachuk when he comes back I think you know there there's potential there um I don't think scoring goals was their problem last year um to a lot of people's surprise they were the only team that weren't shut out last year um in any regular season game so I, I think they have they have an offense that can fire right now in transition I think I I said this the other day um, and and kind of made a, a case for this. They're probably going to attack more in transition because they don't really have guys that can win puck battles, and they don't have a great structure right now where they can cycle pucks in the offensive zone and and really work some of that puck possession 
Um, but at the end of last season, they did do some of that against some of the injury-riddled teams like the Vancouver Canucks. So if they can find some of that cycle game and some of that puck possession game, it'll be better. But a lot of that has to do with the the defense and the breakout because that's where plays start. So um, I think we'll probably go there next. But But how are you feeling about the forward group before we move on? Yeah, no similar thing. I mean, it just seems a bit thin to me. And I was, as I was saying earlier, I was hoping they would add one guy. Like, um, you know, who knows what the asking price was for a guy like Thomas Hurdle, you know. Um, but someone of that ilk would have been fantastic to add, you know. Someone who is a legitimate top six, realistically a first-line player. Um, and again, like, if they were asking too much, then that's fine. But, you know, someone, someone really established in the NHL, kind of in their mid to late 20s, would have been great. But... Yeah, it'll. Guys like Pinto and Norris should take another step forward. Stutzler should as well. They should be exciting at least. But, you know, as as you say, we're gonna go to the defense now, and that's still an area of concern. On the defense, then, are you keeping Artem Zub with Thomas Shabbat on that first pairing? I think so for now. Again. You can revert back, like I was saying earlier, you can revert back to Shabbat and Zaitsev if you need to spread things out a little bit. I've really liked Holden. I've been super impressed by Nick Holden in camp. Um, So I'm okay with Shabbat and Zub on the top pairing. Um, I'm feeling like Shabbat finally has a a decent defensive partner on the right side that, Mm -hmm. you know, he can play off of it and a guy that can move the puck a little bit. Um, What do you think about that top pairing? I, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think I loved having Dylan DeMello there in, what was it, 18-19. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the last couple seasons has been a bit rough with, with Zaitsev. And um, it is interesting that, you know, maybe Zaitsev has fallen a bit out of favor because, uh, you know, he was getting a ton of ice time there. And it seems like they really trust Zub. And he's he's got to be their second best defenseman right now. I mean, he still looks very solid. And beyond that... As you're saying as well, Holden's looks great. And he's been playing with Eric Brandstrom. I mean, do you think there's any chance that they don't send him down to the AHL? Just because, I mean, he's the only defenseman who can pass through waivers, or or sorry, doesn't have to go through waivers. But, you know, he's looked quite solid. So, like, do you think they're actually going to keep him? Or, you know, do you think they would just not risk losing someone like Delzato or Brown or whoever? You know what, if you asked me this probably a couple of weeks ago, I would have said Brandstrom's definitely going to the American Hockey League, and there's no doubt in my mind. Now, I think Brandstrom's looked pretty good in camp. I think they might have realized, and I think DJ Smith commented on this the other day, but they might have realized that Brandstrom, outside of Shabbat, Brandstrom is their best offensive weapon. And I think he compensates for you know, any sort of lapses in his defensive game. And if you're pairing him with someone who's really stout defensively like Holden, I think you've got a pairing there that could potentially play that in that second pairing. So that's how I have it constructed now. And I know there's going to be eight guys if you keep Brandstrom. So, you know, that probably means someone would be put on waivers, but we'll see how it plays out. That's how I have it right now. I do have Brandstrom in the lineup. Interesting. So would you have him with Holden on the second pairing or something different? Yeah, that's how I have it right now. I think he's played with Holden and looked really good with Holden in camp. Um, Mete played, I think at the start of camp, Mete played with uh, Holden for 
one game, if I'm not mistaken. And, and they looked pretty mm-hmm. good together too. So I think, you know, you could play either of those guys in that spot, but my preference would definitely be Brandstrom. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I would love to have that as a second pairing as well. Um, again, we'll probably know maybe by tomorrow, maybe Wednesday, who's being sent down or who's being waived or whatever. After that, if we do keep Branstrom in that second spot, it gets pretty interesting. So then for the final two spots, you have Delzato, Zaitsev, Brown, and Mete. Um, I guess two parts to this question. First, what do you think would happen? And second, what would you do in that situation? Yeah, I think um, I'm not entirely sure if the Senators like the idea of undersized defensemen. Um, And I think that was the idea of going out and and grabbing so many guys um, with size. So the likelihood, and my preference is Mete and Zaitsev on that bottom pairing, the likelihood of that happening, uh, pretty slim. Um, I, I can see them playing Delzato, and Zaitsev, I could see them playing Delzato and Brown. I think one of Mete and Branstrom will be held out of the opening night roster at least. Um, and maybe at some point during the season, they go back to what worked for them really at the end of last season, which was mobility on the back end. Yeah, that's the frustrating thing is that they played some of their best hockey when they had both Mete and Branstrom in the lineup, right? I mean, yeah, I understand the hesitancy to have two of these small defensemen in your lineup, but I feel like you're fine if you complement them with bigger players. Like if you put Mete with Brown, I feel like that's fine, right? You know, you can make up for some of his you know, his lack of size, I guess. But yeah, as you're saying, I don't know. I mean, uh, I could see Mete getting waived. I mean, he hasn't, he's only played what, I think 12 games in Ottawa or something like that. So it's not as if he has a, a long history here. And yeah, I, I find it hard to believe that they would move on from Zaitsev considering he has quite a big contract. They just signed Dell's auto. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people yesterday were pointing out that last year he literally had a two-way contract. I don't know how Dell's auto ended up with a two-year deal worth $2 million. I mean, <laughs> I think a lot of people haven't exactly loved him in preseason and I don't know. I don't think they exactly need him. Yeah, again, you start to question that pro scouting side of things from the Senators' perspective. And yeah, mm-hmm. I did I did see that, actually. He was paid, I think, 750 k last year and then somehow, yeah. you know, didn't really have a good season, but somehow made out, you know, more than doubling his salary on a one-way contract for two years. Um, and, and I remember when they signed him, there was, you know, rumors that there was like five teams interested in Delzato. <laughs> And I don't know if, you know, the Senators were just trying to pump his tires or what happened around that time, but it it was a strange signing to me. It never made sense. Um, And when I look at things on paper, it still doesn't make sense. So I don't understand it. I mean, he's been around forever. I think his first season was was 09-10. I'm just counting how many teams. Okay, he's played for New York, Nashville, Philly, Vancouver, Anaheim, St. Louis, Anaheim again, Columbus, and now Ottawa. (laughs) Like, this is a guy, somehow he has 710 games in his career and I just I don't know how he's lasted this long um but you know I'm sure he's good in the room all that kind of stuff so not the worst thing but I just hope they don't lose someone like Bransom or Mete for nothing but now now I guess we can briefly talk about the goalies we know it's going to be Matt Murray and Anton Forsberg but 
any thoughts about Philip Gustafson potentially getting in there at some point? Yeah, I think, you know, speaking of moving around a lot, you know, Forsberg's a guy who bounced around, you know, just last season alone who bounced around a lot. So um, he's a guy that could potentially be moved out if um, Gus is looking really good um, in Belleville and Sogard's looking really good as well. You, You know, you have some depth in the crease. I think, to be honest, I think Gustafson is their best option even today. I mean, it's a small sample that we have, but he looked really, really solid. He looked solid in preseason. I mean, I think he's just found his stride at this level, and I think he's really, really knocking on the door. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Forsberg eventually gets moved out, which would be a bit of a shame because I like his setup. I mean, look at those pads that he just put out with the gold (laughs) on them. They look really, really nice. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I'm, I mean, we can, we'll probably talk about Gustafson in a little bit um, as well. But yeah, he's, he's looked fantastic. He has, you know, 933 save percentage in nine games last season. Um, He was their best goalie statistically in the preseason this year as well. So, I mean, yeah, as soon as someone gets hurt, he's getting called up. And even if, if Forsberg has, you know, four or five bad games, I could see Gustafson getting called up in, you know, November, December, something like that. But even with Matt Murray, I still think there's some potential there to bounce back. I think he's got to be better than an 893 save percentage from last season. He's probably not going to return to his like Stanley Cup kind of caliber, but I think he's capable of being around league average or somewhere around there. Yeah, I think for, I mean, for many players, but maybe more so for goaltenders, confidence does a world of good or or a world of bad if, you know, you're on the other side of things. And for Murray, you know, he kind of lost that confidence in Pittsburgh. He went to Ottawa. I mean, it it just kind of radiates through his equipment. I I go back to the equipment, (laughs) which is kind of silly, but to be honest, like the all white equipment, it was just kind of plain and boring and the mask was kind of plain and boring. And I think this year he's added a little bit of color you know, maybe added a little bit of confidence. So um, he he looked pretty good in training camp. There was a couple of times where he was beat to the glove side that, uh, you know, a couple of people that I, I talked to kind of pointed out was a bit of an area that teams are targeting on Matt Murray. So um, I think he, he has some things to correct. I, I agree with what you said. I don't think he's ever going to be that Stanley Cup caliber player that he was. It was a, a small sample and he was playing, you know, behind a really, really good Pittsburgh team. But uh, but hopefully he can get back at least back to 900 and above um, mm-hmm. to be you know more respectable and then maybe down the road back up Gustafson because ultimately I think you know that's where Gus is heading you know in in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agreed on all that and and hopefully just as you're saying with the equipment you know something different. Hopefully that that changes his mindset and so moving on though I. I always like the beginning of seasons because it gives us a chance to be excited about certain things, but you know, there's always things that cause concerns as well. So let's start with excitements. What are a few reasons why fans should be excited for the 21, 22 season? Well, it's still a a group of young up and coming players. I mean, there's still, you know, the development to watch They they have this kind of likability factor that is rare to see. And I think this team has that, you know, they have the Tim Stutzlas and the Josh Norrises and, you know, Brady Kachuk when he does get here. And, you know, I, I really do like some of the the drafting 
that the team's done recently, um, but more, maybe more so the development side of things. I think the Man Brothers, um, you know, if there's any people to really like within the organization, I, I go to the Man Brothers and I know they get a ton of love online. Um, you know, I haven't agreed with all of their drafting. I think we can, we can all, you know, we all have personal preferences and, you know, just mm-hmm. this year, Cole Sillinger, who they passed on actually made the team. So, yeah. I mean, they went with Tyler Boucher. That was a huge shocker for everybody. Um, so you're not going to love everything that they do. And maybe they see something again that other teams don't in Boucher, but I think the drafting overall in recent years, especially in some of those later rounds, has been pretty damn good. So, uh, you know, that's something to be excited about. The the biggest excitement for me is Josh Norris. I mean, this might be the best player on the team right now, which is crazy. I mean, he he plays an exceptional game already. He he has such a refined style for a 22-year-old center. Um, I just think he has a huge responsibility, and he never looks overwhelmed out there. So... Josh Norris, I mean, if you're looking at individuals, to me, that's the individual to be most excited about this season. Um, and then, you know, maybe special teams can take a step forward. Maybe you won't have a, a major step forward in the overall standings. But I think when it comes to the penalty kill, I, I think they had something going there. They were striking at around 79%, I believe, last season. So I think that's an area that they could continue to look decent on. And I know they lost Colin White, who's a penalty killer, and Austin Watson, who's a penalty killer. And Um, You know, you still have Matt Murray who needs to make the saves in net on the PK. But I think they could take maybe a a step forward. And then on the power play as well, um, I think, you know, it would be easy to improve on the 15.5 or whatever percent they had last season. So there's a few areas to be excited about. Absolutely agreed with all of that. I think in regards to the special teams, I mean, they've been pretty terrible at power play and the penalty kill, you know, ever since they've been rebuilding so since 1718 so that's four seasons in a row and you know that might actually be able to translate a bit to the standings um you know maybe a few wins here or there with Norris I think you're you're right in that he's he actually has a very similar statistical profile to a young Ryan O'Reilly and you know I've talked about this before and that's pretty exciting like O'Reilly is was and is an underrated player like you know, there was one point where really he was like a top 10 center in the league. And I feel like Norris, I mean, he might not reach that potential, but I think he has at least that that ceiling where he could be a very underrated first line center. You know, I could easily see him putting up 60 plus points this season. And yeah, it's great because he's not just a purely offensive player. He's been fantastic defensively as well. So, um, and I like what you said about their likability factor. They just do have all these guys that it's it's fun to watch them and their development, it's it just seems like every guy they draft instantly, their draft plus one season, they shoot up the rankings where it's like, oh, this guy looks a lot better all of a sudden. Um you know, we saw I think it was just in preseason, but um Zach Ostopchuk, he had like did he have a hat trick or four goals in a game or something like early on and you know it's Hopefully they can continue that trend of, you know, guys just kind of being late bloomers. Shane Pinto is one of those guys who didn't really start playing um, competitively until he was like 14, 15. All of a sudden he's, you know, one of the best prospects in the game. So, yeah, I think that's certainly some very good reasons to be excited for the season. Another one I wanted to add 
which we just talked about a few minutes ago, was Philip Gustafson. I feel like he really has the potential to take things over, um, you know, especially if they get off to a bad start and Murray and Forsberg aren't great. I think they can call him up and who knows, maybe they go on a bit of a Hamburglar run or something like that. Yeah, I think the leash is definitely going to be shorter on Murray this season, um, even though they paid him the big contract. So I definitely agree on Gus. I think um, he's, in my mind, the number one as early as next season. Um, but it would be really special to have him be the number one this season. That would be mm-hmm. an, another reason to be excited about the future of this team. And and I think that's, you know, that's the big, that's what we're talking about here. That's the base. It, it's the future of this team that is so exciting. Yeah. Let me just add one thing to your minds and the listeners' minds. Jake Sanderson for the playoff push. <laughs> oh, I mean, that that has potential <laughs> um, written all over it. But I mean, the, the Senators have to get there first. There's exactly. a lot of there's a lot of what ifs. But uh, but that would be that would be the best thing ever. Right. I mean, Jake Sanderson. I mean, you can't have a better addition than Jake Sanderson coming over and mm-hmm. being added to your team for a playoff push. That would be that would put me over the moon personally. Absolutely. Now. What about for reasons for concern? What should fans be worried about this season? You know what? We had Ian Mendez on our show last week, and he used an analogy that I just have to go with now. It really stuck with me, and it sums everything up kind of perfectly. He said, if you look at teams like Tampa Bay, Toronto, Vegas, Colorado, the the really good teams, they only face one if going into the season when it comes to their playoff probability. And that if is their health. You know, if they're healthy, they're in. And and this really is a telltale sign. You look at a team like the Ottawa Senators and how many what ifs do you have going into the season? You know, if Murray can be a number one goalie, if Tim Stutzla can produce 70 points, if Josh Norris and Shane Pinto are strong enough at this stage in their career down the middle, if Brady Kachuk gets here on time, if the decor is strong enough, you you could just go down the line. So I think that's the telltale sign. For me, that's the concern that we can easily, off the top of our head, come up with about 10 what-ifs for this Mm -hmm. team. And when we start to reduce the number of what-ifs, then we can start looking forward to, okay, this team might be a playoff team. But I think the, the biggest concern is that you can go through a, a list of, I don't know how many ifs for this team. And, you know, the stars basically have to align perfectly for the team to be in the playoffs. So I, I don't see them taking a major step forward. I don't. Yeah, no, and that's a good point. It's just that they have, I mean, luckily last season, they had guys like Norris and Batherson establish themselves. And um, I guess you can put Stutzla in there as well, but they still have, you know, Pinto and Sanderson and Brandstrom and even Formington, guys who are probably going to be NHLers, but, you know, they're not quite there yet. So they're still those ifs like you're talking about. So, you know, we've talked about the goaltending and the defense, and there's still some, you know, a lack of depth there, I guess, or just a lot of question marks. And I I don't want to make it seem like it's impossible to make the playoffs because those ifs could turn into positive things. Um, They certainly have the potential to do that. But you're right. They they do need a lot of things to go well. Um, I still think they need maybe next offseason, like a couple additions, you know, pretty much at every position, you know, unless, unless Gustafson takes over the starters role, then maybe they don't need a goalie. But, you know, a defenseman or two and then a forward or two, I think would go 
a really long way for potentially making the playoffs next season, I guess. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's another concern in itself, right? Because we know how the pro scouting's been on this on this team. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it really brings up another concern. And I hate to keep, you know, kind of bashing on the, the negatives, but it is a, a bit of a concern. Can they add a legitimate top six player, not a top six player that was a top six player not at Adam one Henrique. point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a prime example. That's, you know, one of the things I was concerned about when they were talking about a top six player, it was, you know, Ryan Strom or Adam Henrique or whatever. And, and you're looking at those players and you're saying like, really? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it, w- it would be nice for one of these days for them to actually go after a a prime trade candidate. I mean, the last time they would have done that, I guess, is Bobby Ryan and, you know, didn't work out the best. I mean, wasn't that bad. It's not like Silverberg was a star or anything. Um, but yeah, it sure would be nice if it was like, they got number four on TSN's trade ban list or something. It's like, oh, whoa, they got this this top top young forward or something. But um, anyway, I, I wanted to go to our next section, which is over-unders. So, you know, I, I usually do these before the season, and I wrote a blog about this, I guess, two weeks ago now. So we can look back at these at the end of the season and, and see how close we are. So I listed 10 over-unders here. I haven't shared them with you, but, you know, just kind of get... Maybe just a bit of a rapid fire. We don't have to talk long about each one of them. But um, yeah, I got 10 lines here. You ready, Derek? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Number one, Brady Kachuk points 55.5 over or under. I'm going to take the under. He's not here right now. All right. I took the under too, but maybe just barely. Um, Team goals for rank. Okay. So 17.5. Over is better, so like higher up, and under is worse. And for reference, they were 19th last season. I'm going to take the over. Okay. I barely took the under. Team goals against rank, 25.5, and last season they were 28th. Yeah, I'm taking the under here. Oof, okay. I, I think I'll go with over for that, but again, maybe not by a ton um matt murray save percentage 907 and last season it was 893 oh that's like right where kind of right where i can see his save percentage being Mm -hmm. Uh, i'll I'll take the under only because i said that you know they're going to give up a ton of goals so it only would make sense to take the under there fair enough i'll i'll stick with my consistency then and i'll say over maybe like 908 909 um, Thomas Shabbat average time on ice 25 30 last season. He was at, um, a career high of 26 17. Yeah. They still need to play Shabbat a ton. <laughs> uh, I'm well, it was a 56 game. You know, that's a tough one. Ah, uh, man. Again, that's like right where it's a good number. It's a good number. <laughs> I'm going to take the over. Okay. Yeah. Same for me. Uh, Tim Stutzla points 50.5. Last season, he was on pace for 45. I think he can do it. Let's let's give Timmy the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to take the over. Same here. Just over. The... Just barely. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go with the over for that. Um, Connor Brown goals 21.5. Last season, he was on pace for 31. Yeah, that was a freakish season for <laughs> Connor Brown. Um you know what? If Connor Brown is leading your team in goals, that's not a good thing, and that's no disrespect to Connor Brown. He does a lot of great things, 
I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the under. I think last season he just got super hot that it's not gonna it's not gonna be that way every year. Yeah, I, I took the under as well on that one. Maybe like high teens or something. Eric Branstrom games played fifty five point five last season. He was on pace for forty four. I'm being optimistic. Let's go with the over. I, I I'm not really realistic on this one, but I'm gonna go with the over. Yeah, my I, I want to say over. I'm gonna say under and I'm gonna predict that he ends up getting traded at some point in a in a yeah. bit of a blockbuster, maybe involving an NHLer or something. Um, <laughs> an actual <laughs> NHLer. Yeah. <laughs> not just a pick <laughs> or something. Okay, second last one here. Um, Alex Formanton shorthanded goals four and a half and Connor Brown last season was on pace for seven different player but you know Formanton might be getting more of that ice time yeah let's go let's go uh, have some fun with this and go with the over I mean Formanton's speed is deadly all right I, I said under but you can certainly do that I mean the amount of breakaways he gets is is ridiculous so um, okay last one here Team points, 76.5. And that, that was the Vegas line, um, the official line. And last year, they were on pace for 75. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's it's kind of right around where I where I project them to be. Let's let's hope that they go over that and get close to 80. Um, I'm going to go over. Sounds good. I have them over as well. Officially, like on Silver 7 on the website, I put them at 81 points. So I'm going to stick with that, you know, right around that kind of, NHL 500 mark, but not not the real 500 mark. Um, but yeah, that should be fun to look back at the end of the season. You know, I think last year I did this with Steve Warren. I think I can't remember how well Steve did. I think I got maybe a bit over 50 percent. So um, you know, not not the worst. But now, no, that's pretty good. These things are always fun. I mean, you yeah. do these as well. It, it's just fun to look back and see how close you were and you know and how bad some <laughs> on some yeah, exactly. of the predictions that you were but exactly. it's always fun to do for sure now it's no secret that the sends are in a much more difficult division after playing in the north last year and i thought we could go through where we think different teams will end up by the end of the season just just in the atlantic division um so you know we don't have to go super in depth with each team but starting up top who's your number one team in the atlantic yeah, I have a bit of a dark horse pick for number one spot in the Atlantic, and it's the Florida Panthers. And right. it it's a bit of a surprise only because, um, you know, you, you think of the top teams in the Atlantic. You think of probably Toronto, Tampa Bay, maybe Boston. Um, I have Florida up there. I think last year they were actually on pace for more points than anyone currently in the Atlantic. Obviously, it's hard to say when you're playing against some of the same teams. But, uh, but I think they did a, a lot in the offseason. And not to go into great depth, but I have them in my top spot. Yeah, no, I could certainly see that. Adding Sam Reinhardt helps. Um, you know, Spencer Knight can probably replace um, Chris Drieger. So definitely a solid team. I actually have Toronto up in that first spot. I just feel like one of these years they got to win it. They're just too talented not to succeed. But number two, who do you have? Yeah, I have Toronto right behind Florida. And, it, and honestly, it'll be a tight race between probably three or four teams so uh i i have toronto yeah for the same reasons i think they're too talented to not finish near the top so uh they're number two for me who do you have yeah i have tampa i think honestly i feel like the top three is going to be so close like tampa they're still insanely good despite losing gord and johnson goodrow coleman all those guys but they still have so much depth somehow i think it's going to be close and then 
number three. Do you have Tampa number three as well? Tampa's number three for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like that those top three spots are going to be pretty much, you know, they're going to be set in stone pretty early on. And it's going to be tough to get in those top three and whoever else wants to make it in from the Atlantic is probably going to have to go via the wildcard route. So who would you have fourth then? I have Boston still in fourth. I know, you know, they lost some key players, um, but but I still think, you know, you have Marchand, you have Bergeron, you have players there that, that are just too good to, to put them lower than the other teams in the Atlantic. So uh, that's where I have the Boston Bruins. <laughs> that's pretty much like word for word what I had written down about Boston. It's like, yeah, they lost Rask and Krejci, but, you know, all those good players, Bergeron, McAvoy, Pasternak, Marchand, still too good at least at least to drop you know below these other teams here um fifth place then who do you have fifth yeah this is the one where i was debating back and forth you know my optimistic side wanted me to put the senators here but i i went with the realistic side i went with the montreal Canadiens. they made the stanley cup final last year i'm not feeling a whole lot of confidence in that pick to be honest looking at the preseason i think ottawa played them quite well but you, you can't really make heads or tails of a preseason. So I still have Montreal finishing in, in the fifth position there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did as well. I think Ottawa could be close to them. And yeah, it's just funny looking at Montreal because obviously they made the cup final, but they weren't a typical Stanley Cup final team. And, you know, they lost guys like Weber and Tatar and Deneau, Kotkiniemi. They added a couple players, but I think overall they got worse. So... Even if they'd kept everybody, I think it would have been tough to, to repeat that performance. But um, I'm assuming you have Ottawa sixth then? I do, yeah. I have Ottawa finishing ahead of, you know, a, a couple of teams in the Atlantic. Um, and that's even still a bit of an optimistic, you know, take. But I, I do have them finishing sixth yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have them sixth as well. I just feel like Detroit and Buffalo, especially Buffalo, are just... Yeah. They just really have a lot of holes. And I mean, with Buffalo specifically, I I just feel like they need to completely start over again for like the, the third time. I mean, it's just, they need to get rid of everyone in that organization. It, it's just so rotten. And I feel so bad for their fans because they're honestly one of the most passionate fan bases. You know, they always have some of the highest ratings in the country. And it's, yeah, they deserve better than that. Oh, absolutely. Hey, at least, you know, if you're into the NFL, at least they can look at the bills yeah. and maybe, you know, maybe just start watching football for, for a year. Um, but yeah, uh, the Sabres, same thing. I mean, we can relate to some of the pain that that fan base feels. So uh, the Sabres are at the bottom, the Red Wings in seventh. And I, I think the Red Wings can compete with the Sens and Habs in yeah. that five to seven area i think they're on the rise they're probably just a step behind the ottawa senators i think so too like i would trust steve eiserman's vision and i think they're gonna be really good and who knows maybe even you know they got alex nadelkovich you know maybe he stands on his head and they kind of get more points from that but um yeah they're, they're kind of in that similar range as you mentioned for me as well yeah they still need some pieces and and they probably don't want to be super good yet, to be honest. I mean, yeah. they, they want to be in the conversations for some of the best draft picks at the end of this season. So 
Um, yeah, I, I think the Red Wings aren't really in win-now mode where Ottawa at least publicly is saying that they're trying to win now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, now, hopefully, the season goes a bit better than, than we predict. Hopefully, they can finish higher than sixth. But, Derek, in one sentence, can you sum up how you expect this season to go? Oh, man, in one sentence. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, this season is going to be better than we just predicted. <laughs> All right. Let, let's end things off with a, with a positive. All right. I like it. So, yeah, we're always wrong on predictions. So don't listen to us. It's going to be better. Um, I like it. But before we sign off here, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, just Future Sickos podcast. Uh, give us a listen if you're into the same kind of thing uh, that you're listening to here. Um, and 613 Sports, I've done a little bit of writing for 613 Sports, but they're just great guys in general. So uh, shout out to them as well. Yeah, definitely recommend both of those. Um, and one more thing before we finish off here. I just have to say it's been amazing to see the journey that you and your daughter Jada have gone through. And you know, I'm so happy that she's back at home with you and can't even imagine how hard that must have been and the positive comments from others that i've seen over the past several months must be very heartwarming as well and you know i just hope it's only going to get easier out from here yeah i mean initially when i started kind of posting the journey and what i was going through um and and being open about it online it was uh it was tough it was you know is this going to be something that i i really don't want to have to keep doing in the future and it ended up being the best decision I could have made. So, mm -hmm. uh, Trevor, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, we're on, we're on the up. We're, we're looking, you know, forward and positive, much like the trajectory of the Ottawa Senators. But uh, uh, we're on that same trajectory, and, and you know, hopefully things just continue to stay positive. We've got a long journey ahead. But thank you so much to to yourself, and thank you to everyone that reached out. It, it truly meant a lot. I mean, I would read those comments to her as well, and it gave us so mm -hmm. much strength. That's amazing. And you know what, Derek? The sickos have always got your back. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Derek. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CP Pointcast on Twitter where you'll get any updates about the show. Enjoy the beginning of the season, folks. Adios.